it's tough because I think you can simultaneously acknowledge that a person or that your character is not a good person, but depending on the agency of the character, you still want to see, you know, what they're going to do and you care about what happens to them. Um, and I think that's like above all else, you know, if you care what the character is doing and you are wondering about how they're going to succeed, if they're going to succeed, it doesn't really matter if they're bad or not. Welcome to Speculative Sandbox, your audio playground for creative storytellers. My name is Vicki Lawn, and each episode, I and a guest will unpack a fiction trope with an eye for character development and narrative structures. Make sure to look for Speculative Sandbox on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter, where you can join the conversation. Leave comments or questions, or let us know what other tropes we should cover. When the real world just doesn't cut it, let's get lost in a fictional one. Protagonists. Pro. Opposite of antagonist. They're the main characters, the heroes, the narrator. We want to root for them because, by proxy, we are them. But are they always as good as they appear? Fellow author and creator Matthew C. Brown joins me in a discussion about complex protagonists, the appeal of evil characters, and how storytelling has evolved as our interactions on social media take center stage. Hello. Hey, Matt. Matt or Matthew? How do you want to be referred? Oh, you can... Matt is perfectly fine. All right. Well, my gosh, it's so cool to talk to you. We've been following each other I for know. a couple of years, right? I know. It's been, I, I actually went to check our, uh, I was like, how long have we been like chatting? It's, it's been since like 2019. Crazy. Right when we and were both in the query trenches. We were right in the middle of the query trenches. That's right. Yes. And so now we can both say that we are agented and now we're in the submission trenches. I know, which is... <laughs> It feels like more of the same, kind of. It really, I, you know, I remember that when I, it dawned on me that once I got through the query trenches, I was like, oh, I'm doing this again. And then I'm yeah. like, oh, that feeling. <laughs> and in some ways, and in some ways, it's more difficult. Yes, absolutely. So, okay, well, how about um, you share a little bit about yourself and some of your current projects? All right, sure. Uh, so my name is Matthew C. Brown, and I live uh, just a little north of Boston, Massachusetts. I mostly write sci-fi fantasy novels. I currently have one book that is uh, out on submission to editors and publishers. It is a sci-fi western that has been pitched as if the Mandalorian had a dash of velociraptors a la Jurassic Park. Nice. nice. And, I, uh, <laughs> I remember I remember reading that uh, when you first pitched it, because that's where we met. Was on a pitch? Uh, yes, it was, because I think at the time you were also pitching a kind of western-ish themed uh, mm -hmm. fantasy book. Yes. And I was just like, oh someone else <laughs> yeah yeah exactly but i loved your idea of combining it with velociraptors just because it's so it's so absurd but in such a great way <laughs> that was kind of the, that was kind of the idea is like how can i make something very absurd but also like when you read it it's like oh like this genuinely works mm -hmm. yeah absolutely and um you and i also connected over um a shared editor right leslie hinson we, we did yes the lovely leslie yes because i remember i had uh you know i'd gone over a bunch of different rejections from agents and you know i'd edited the book maybe once or twice at that point and i was thinking you know like i don't know if i should just hang it up or and try writing a new book and i thought well you know uh you know, Vicky got signed and she had hired an editor, so why not give that a shot? And it was probably the best decision I ever made. Absolutely. I, I feel very lucky that she was my first experience with an oh, editor. Yeah. And she's I've asked her to be on a future episode. So people oh, will get great. a chance. Yeah, we, we've just selected her topic. I'm really excited to chat with her as well and kind of get her out there um, with the writing community. So I'm sorry, um, carry on with your, your project list. Yeah, I was just going to say I have one other book um, completely different from the first um, that I'm working on right now with a round of revisions, and that's more of a standalone ensemble fantasy. Have you talked with your agent about that one yet? Yes, uh, he knows that I'm working on it, and it's just kind of like an open-ended kind of thing at the moment. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I'm hoping to get it to him by the end of this month, but, you know, 
you know, life gets in the way. And then I just realized like, oh, this part of the book needs a whole lot more work than I originally thought. So, you know, but uh, yeah, no pressure there. It's a process. I'm jealous of you because I wish I was there. Work in progress. I I think this past couple of years, I've been in a black hole of just this project. And um, the reason why I wanted to create this podcast and talk to people like you is to just get myself out of that and rejuvenate again. But it's just when you tell me you're like, I'm in the revisions mode. I'm like, oh, one day, one day I'll be there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it took a while to get to that point because I was kind of the same as you, you know, after I, you know, after I finished uh, the sci-fi Western and I was pitching it and, you know, for a long time afterward, I was really trying to work on other things and it just, you know, nothing was really sticking to the wall, you know, and I, and I acknowledge now some of that part of that was just life stuff happening. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then I. You know, I was just getting so frustrated. I thought maybe I only had one book in me. Uh, and then this most, the fantasy um, was the one, the first book that I finished uh, since the Western. And so I was like, oh, geez. Okay. So I can do this. So that's great. That's a great feeling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially because the process of even getting an agent in the first place, it feels like lightning has to strike in the right spot. And now you're being asked to do it again. So yeah. it's intimidating. It is. Okay, so, um, and then you're also working on a follow-up, right? Your Western? Yes, I do, actually. Yes, I have this, I have a sequel to it. Um, It is, the rough draft is finished, um, and it's just kind of marinating for a while until I'm ready to actually look at it, because that thing, that thing took me, uh, I tried to start that immediately after finishing the first book, which was maybe not a great idea, uh, and I struggled with that on and off for, I don't know, like three and a half years. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, I know it. T- it took me so long, and I'm just like, with, like everything about this is terrible, and I don't know where it's going, and it's not wor- working out as easily as the first book. Um, but then finally, you know, uh, late last year, I was kind of reading it over. It's like, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna finish this. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care how bad it is. I just need to get it all out onto paper. And finally, did it. And then I just put it away, and I'm not gonna look at it until I'm ready to look at it. Uh, but it is done. And that's a really good approach to take, getting just going straight forward. It's like you're pushing your way through a blizzard, eyes forward. Um, and as long as you can just get through it, then you at least have something you can edit later. Yep, exactly. And, you know, edit everything can be fixed in post. Exactly. So then you've had your fair share of different kinds of stories, whether it's your original Western, your fantasy, or a follow-up, um, which can be so challenging, too, because you don't want to write the same book twice, but you want to expand on your existing world. So you've had your fair share of writing protagonists. Oh, so yeah. tell, that, that's what this episode is about. We're looking at the complexity of protagonists, both um, obviously good protagonists, obviously bad protagonists, and some that surprise you. So how about you share some of your favorite protagonists in general? So uh, I'm just fresh off of finishing the book Rhythm of War by Brandon Sanderson. It's the fourth in his uh, Stormlight Archive series. The, the, the really big, like, 13, 100 and... 30,000 pages, whatever it is. Uh, but uh, one of the characters, there's a lot of a lot of characters, but one of my favorites is uh, Kaladin Stormbless. And he's just, you know, there's so much about him that feels like kind of the typical fantasy heroic protagonist and that he's just so easy to like and root for. You know, he's, a, he's an underdog. And when you first meet him, his life just absolutely sucks. Mm. <laughs> And you want to see, and you know, you just keep seeing him overcoming adversity, one challenge after another. And you're like, how is he even, how is he doing any of this? And like, where's it going to lead? And, you know, it's just so, it's just, there's a reason why, you know, in every single book, you know, the, the, the spotlight might shift a little bit to focus on some other characters, but he's always the one. I feel like people are just really like, I want to see what Kaladin is doing in this book. So for Kaladin, do you find that the way that he's written, it's easy to relate to him? You see a little bit of yourself in him? Absolutely. Um, and that, and I think that's something, you know, you don't always get that with uh, these heroic protagonists, because a lot of times it's the reason we, we look up to them. And it's like, you know, people looking up to people loving Superman. It's like, well, it's like, because he's Superman and he can do anything mm-hmm. and he's great and he symbolizes hope. But, you know, he's not extremely relatable. Uh, or at least in most depictions, he's not. Uh, but in this case, Kaladin, uh, a lot of his plot is focused on his mental health. 
um, and just the toll that a lot of his uh, challenges take on him. And I feel like we don't always get a lot of that with these protagonists. You know, we see them, they go through so many things and like life and death situations. And sometimes it gets touched on. Uh, but th- I think from the get go, you know, they're talking about how hopeless he feels. And even after he overcomes a challenge, he feels great for a while, but then he's, you know, right back down the drain because one bad thing goes wrong. Do you think that this book is obvious about the mental health struggles or do you think it's a more subtle um, implication that the reader has to pick up on? I didn't really think about it as much until later books, you know, at the very beginning, uh, the very first book, I don't think mental health is quite as obvious as a theme, uh, mostly because for him, it's just, you know, I mean, his life is terrible. So of course, mentally, he's not going to be in tip top shape. And I mean, that would be the case with anybody. Uh, But as the books move forward, and you know, you see this with other characters too. Um, it kind of tackles a couple different health issues, things like PTSD. Um, even at some point, we even get into a dissociative identity disorder. Uh, but I think, you know, the more time you spend with them, the more you realize like, oh, yeah, like, you know, you know, he's got a lot of issues and he's it takes more than one book or one success to kind of, you know, work through them, just like it would in real life. Mm hmm. I have a, a book series that I relate to a lot for that very same reason. Um, it's called John Dies at the End. It's written by Jason Pargan. And it's one of those supernatural humor novels about two guys that have to save their little shithole town from the forces <laughs> of evil over and over again. And the way that they get the ability to fight off evil spirits is they basically take this drug <laughs> that gives them the ability to see into like the supernatural. But the point of the story is that you you see a lot of the, the side effects and mental health impacts of living in a very poor rural town. You see depression, you see alcoholism. But what was remarkable about uh, remarkable about it is you don't see it right away, but you do see it um, in, in in like the aura around the characters. And then just like in your example, the later books, they uh, Jason starts to outwardly explore it and showing how um, alcoholism and anxiety and depression can be debilitating. And, and sometimes the hero can't get up. He just stays in bed all day. And sometimes that biggest o- accomplishment is overcoming that period of depression. Yeah. And I think it's, and, you know, and it's interesting that you say that, uh, like you were saying, Alec, how he just kind of wants to lay in bed because, you know, you might not think that that's really something you want to see in your protagonist. Yeah, exactly. But it's it's kind of an interesting way to acknowledge the nuances of of the perfect protagonist. And it kind of shows progress over time, getting away from, you know, back in the day with the Greek gods being you know, your protagonist. And now you get to these very human characters that see more and more of us. Uh, what other protagonists do you do you like? Uh, I mean, I it, it's so hard not to like Luke Skywalker. <laughs> I was thinking of Luke Skywalker too. Yeah, it's, it's just it's just so hard not to not to like him. I mean, just everything everything about him. I mean, I mean, and just from the classic kind of hero's journey perspective. But I even you know, and I love even how uh, he ends up in the uh, sequel trilogy in the Last Jedi, and you know, and not everybody loved what they did with him there, but I absolutely loved that as a you know the finishing to his character arc i agree i feel like when it comes to the jedi and and reaching the ultimate level of jedi-ness i guess you can say it seems like it's a a a mark of true accomplishment to become one with the force exactly and i should probably say there's so many spoilers all around (laughs) these podcasts oh yeah yeah we should probably raise we should probably raise that now yeah Um, although if you if you haven't seen if you haven't seen the last jedi at this point it's just kind of like i don't know how you avoided the internet arguing for so long very true <laughs> um i was thinking about luke skywalker as well and i was thinking about uh return of the jedi which was yes. the third one right and yes. how unfortunately the way that i saw the movies was i they were being played over and over on cable and so i saw the ending before i ever actually saw the full movie oh. and so i never i i was just i had to find out that his struggle between the light and the dark was a huge theme in that movie until you find out at the end he has the white underlayer of his jacket yes that he's there for good and so i feel robbed of that experience because i guess for a point you didn't know which way luke was gonna go 
Oh, totally. And you, I mean, right from the get go, I mean, you see him, you know, he makes his entrance in the movie and he's wearing all black. He's got a black cloak and he doesn't look really like the Luke that we previously saw in Empire. Um, and, you know, he's so cool and confident. And, and you're wondering, it's like, you know, the whole point of that clothing was like, is he is he going to turn? Is that going to happen? Well, and then we saw the transition, right, from the perfect hero an example of a hero and a protagonist in Luke from the first original trilogy to this latest trilogy where you start to actually see weaknesses, cracks in, sure. in the in the form. And I think that's where a lot of disputes came in because now they were seeing their protagonist be a little bit more complex. Right. I think a lot of that came from the fact that, you know, in the first trilogy, he is very much an optimist for the entire thing, you know, like not giving up, like even when, you know, uh, <laughs> Spoilers, I guess. <laughs> when he finds out that like Vader's his father, and you know everyone is telling him like, "Look, he's gone. He's not your dad anymore. Like he can't come back." And he's like, "I don't believe that." Um, and he succeeds. Um, so like, that's like the ultimate mark of an optimist. So when people were like, "Well, then how could he like suddenly like not be an optimist?" And I was like, "Well, you know, people things can change in thirty years, man." Like. <laughs> People yeah. are not always the same after like three decades pass by. I mean, I I'm only in my 30s, but I feel much more bitter about the world than I was when I was a teenager. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> okay, so let's see. I have listed a couple of my pro favorite protagonists as well. I listed some um, that I felt were really good model examples for women. I really sure. enjoyed Nomi in American Gothic, where um, in times where women were powerless you know politically socially i like being able to see these female characters overcome and assert themselves this is, was a very interesting book um i'm sorry i might have misspoken i wrote american gothic in my notes it is mexican gothic uh she goes <laughs> up against a racist family who believed in in uh, eugenics which was you know a terrible belief system about one race being superior to another and so not only is she a woman in this circumstance but she's overcoming uh this kind of conflict and i i thought she just showed a great example of a strong female woman. And then my other example that I really like to, to talk about was um, a really good pairing between male and female characters. It's not a book. It's a movie. It's The Mummy from 1999 oh. with um, Evelyn and Rick O'Connell. I thought they were such a great example of how these two characters can bounce off of each other, their strengths. You know, a very positive male-female partnership. My wife is going to be so happy when she listens to this episode and hears the example <laughs> you just gave. That is like her favorite movie. It's such a good movie. And, and I feel like it's continued to do really well, you know, today when you watch it and just the themes and all those things. So, oh, of course. Okay. So then we've talked about protagonists. We've given some good examples about it. We started kind of going into um, how areas of gray start to enter as pro protagonistic stories, you know, progress. But what would you say the purpose of the duality of protagonist and antagonist serve in a story? I think, well, the most obvious thing, um, the duality is just, you know, you have opposing forces. You know, usually, you know, you know, in any context, a protagonist or an antagonist doesn't matter you know, which one is the hero or villain, so to speak. But, you know, they are opposing each other to some degree. And, uh, you know, the whole point of the story is usually you have a person you're following they want something, you know, that's the easiest way to get someone to root for your characters that they want something, they want it really badly. So you do, you have someone who either wants to prevent them from doing that or wants something that runs completely opposite of what the protagonist wants. So then it's, it's an interesting perspective of the protagonist viewpoint versus the antagonist viewpoint and the assumption that we might be making that, oh, the protagonist, the pro, is is wanting something good and therefore the antagonist is probably going for something bad exactly okay so then um what do you think is more important when you are writing the story is it the author's intentions of the characters or the reader's interpretation you know this is it's a really difficult question because i think a lot of it really just depends on context um you know there's just some things that you know i think as a writer you can go into something having a certain intention but it can be difficult because you know a lot of times when you're putting it down on paper you don't have everything fully formed uh, i think especially with characters you can't have everything fully formed when you start writing i think you know depending on how 
depending on how your style is, like if you like the outline or if you kind of just, you know, if you're a gardener, uh, you know, just write everything without planning. Uh, even if you wanted to plan out every single thing that happens in the story, you know that everything that happens beginning, middle, end, I think it's hard to really get everything with your character right off the bat. Like, because they're, they're not, they're not these static things. They're the things that you might develop over time and you realize later in your writing, like, oh, I didn't realize this. And that might change mm. your intention as you're writing. Isn't that great when a character just takes a life of its own mid-draft and you're like, oh, hello, what are you yeah. doing? Sometimes, except for when you're just kind of like, wait, 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 I really do need you over here right now. <laughs> exactly. So how do you feel about that nebulous uh, environment where you're kind of not really sure yet? Do you find it scary, exhilarating? Um, it depends, um, because sometimes, uh, you know, I mean, I so for myself, I don't tend to do a whole lot of outlining. I sometimes have like little little bits and pieces of what I know I want to happen in the story. Maybe a set piece here. Maybe this is where I think I want things to end up. Maybe I want this one shocking event to happen right before the third act. But most everything else, I just kind of take it and run. Um, but I think, uh, you know, it is fun when I realize like, oh, like this character has way more to say than I thought they originally did. And I get to do a little more with them or 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 it uh gets turned about completely and i was like oh wait i think that like they might not be everything that i thought they were when i started writing this when you are drafting your protagonist how much of it do you find that it becomes a self-reflection on you and your own out outlook on the world and perspectives and um ethics uh, I think in some cases it does. Um, I think it's just because, you know, in my, I haven't really written a protagonist yet that goes completely against, uh, like, my perspectives. You know, I've written POV characters that are obviously, you know, more villainous, and that's a whole other case. But, you know, like, in my first, the first book I wrote, like, you know, uh, my protagonist, uh, her name is Willa, and she's, you know, she's very, uh, you know, she's this sense of justice and, like, how things you know should be like what is right and what is wrong like and seeing it at face value but you know sometimes what we see at face value might not be 100 accurate in terms of how we see right and wrong and it's and it's tough to remember that sometimes so then in the in the challenge of creating an evil protagonist how much do you think it, the goal is to create a narrative where their evil perspective is convincing in order for them to be the protagonist in order for the villain to be the protagonist yeah if the protagonist is not a good person is that the challenge yeah. then um i don't think i mean i don't think it, it's tough because i think you can simultaneously acknowledge that a person or that your character is not a good person but depending on the agency of the character you still want to see what they're going to do and you care about what happened to them um and i think that's like above all else you know if you care what the character is doing and you are wondering about how they're going to succeed if they're going to succeed it doesn't really matter if they're bad or not i like to think a lot about thanos and oh, if yes. i had if i had to write his as if he was the the hero of his own story but clearly what he's doing is pretty messed up. How, how would you approach him if he was your protagonist and his overall philosophy, no matter how evil it is? I mean, I think, well, so for, I think that really like Infinity War really is the Thanos movie. Um, like he goes on a hero's journey for that whole movie. It starts with him, like his goal is I have to, I am setting out to try and, you know, however misguided you think his ideal is like, I have a goal and it involves quote unquote saving the universe mm -hmm. i have to collect all these you know macguffins and i have to face challenges along the way he has to make a sacrifice and it is a pretty big sacrifice he has to sacrifice his adoptive daughter mm -hmm. um and then he does that he faces a final challenge he succeeds and then he goes home that's a great analysis i I, I definitely see where you're coming from there. I never saw it that way. Now it, it kind of makes me question any opportunity where you're, you know, there's a villain in a story and being able to flip the script on it a little bit 
and seeing what it looks like from the other person's perspective. Because Infinity War, of course, is being told from the Avengers' perspective. Um, but meanwhile, you're right. The hero's journey is, is reflected in Thanos. That's great. Um, okay, so then when you develop your protagonist, where do you typically start? And what relationship do you want them to have with the reader? I mean, first and foremost, I want the reader to care about them. Um, but I also want them to know that they, you know, you know, that they're not, uh, they're not capable of necessarily winning every situation. You know, they might not know everything that they need to do. There might be something that they're not sure about or that they're going to make a mistake, um, which can be challenging because sometimes it's so, there's times when you're reading and, you know, because you're the reader and because you can tell what's going to happen sometimes, you know that the protagonist is going to make a mistake or you know that they're, you know, saying something or making a choice that's, you know, not ideal. And you're like, oh no, like, why are you doing that? Uh, but instead of it being, you know, annoying, which can happen if you're not careful, it's more just kind of like, oh, how are they going to learn from this? Or how are they going to fix this? Do you like to squirm a little bit when they read these interactions? Sometimes it depends on uh, what they're talking about or uh, who they're dealing with. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it is kind of funny when like you put them in a situation. It's just it's just a little bit. It's just awkward enough that you're just kind of like, oh, like you're burying your hands. Like I can't watch this, but I'm watching between my fingers because oh. I want to know what happens. <laughs> and which is a great place to put your readers, I think, where you can surprise them enough and keep them on the edge of their seat, where they really they don't know where to expect, but they have to read more to find out. Exactly. I I love and enjoy relatable, flawed, and earnest characters. Um, those those when i'm writing my stories i and the genre that i write in is own voice so it, a lot of it has to come from um the diversity perspective which is challenging for me because at the point that i'm reading things now i'm not seeing a lot of diversity voices in what i'm writing specifically which is sci-fi women's fiction <laughs> which right. i think is also kind of a unique um genre as well uh, so i'm taking a lot of risk and the only place that I can really pull from is my own experiences and my biggest insecurity is like I don't know what I'm doing and <laughs> the best thing I could do is well my protagonists don't know what they're doing either and maybe the best way to approach this is they it, it's well known and the reader knows and now we're in this together you know and it's and it's an adventure um, I'm also the mother of two daughters and I want my daughters to grow up and read stories knowing that mistakes happen and that no one's perfect. And, and ultimately, it's about how you overcome challenges. Do you feel like you ever, uh, so do you feel like you kind of sometimes write for your daughters in a way? I find that in the, uh, my, my story subjects have a lot to do with women's relationships. So my book that's currently on submission is about a mother and daughter who are estranged and they have to figure out how to survive this supernatural, you know, alien invasion thing. And as I'm working my way through that dynamic, I'm learning a lot from my own relationship with my girls. And, and it feeds into each other a lot. And because I'm exploring these female relationships, I'm taking what I'm learning in real life and applying them. But at the same time, I'm also learning from my characters because I... I'm not in these supernatural circumstances, but you can kind of see how things you, you kind of learn from each other, whether it's therapy or overcoming conflict, how that can be translated to something super absurd. Because in the end, it's all about how do you maintain positive relationships? How do you grow together? From a, from a daughter's perspective, I know I wanted a mother who supported me. And in the mother's role, I know that I want to make sure my daughters feel that same support. And how can I um, feed into my daughter's needs that I might not actually know about, you know, and being constantly open. I think the greatest thing about being a writer is you open yourself up to your character's needs and your characters aren't always you and you have to, what makes them tick and what their challenges are. And so I think writers are incredibly perceptive and I, I find that to be very beneficial in my own relationships. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So now we know about good protagonists so let's mm -hmm. talk about bad protagonists yes. what's on your list i'm so i have to pick my unequivocally favorite bad protagonist as in there's nothing redeemable about him whatsoever it is 
Macbeth of the titular, the tragedy of Macbeth. Ah, did you see the latest movie that came out? I did, yes, because I, anytime anyone is doing anything with, with Macbeth, I got to watch it. Okay, so tell me your analysis on what makes him such a good protagonist. So, I mean, so first of all, it's the fact that, you know, a lot of the play is centered around his ambition. Uh, and, you know, do the ends justify the means kind of thing. I mean, it literally starts like we, we, we were literally told about him before we meet him. And he's like, he's this hero. He's like single handedly won this war against this rebellious uh, Thane. And he's, he's great. He's great. Everyone loves him. And he shows up. And then the witcher is kind of like, hey, like, you're going to be king. And he's like, huh, oh, I never thought about that. And then it just go, all goes downhill from there. Um, and you know, he, and then just, it's just one thing after the next, you know, he, and I know a lot of people, a lot of people like to talk about Lady Macbeth and she is of course a fantastic character and she is a villainous in her own right, but she's really only her biggest thing is the fact that she's pushing him to murder Duncan, uh, when he's kind of expressing doubt, um, which is something that you would see in your protagonist when they're just like, they're about to kind of take the leap you know, on their journey. And he's, that's what he has. He's about to take the leap. And he's like, oh, I don't know. I'm not sure about this. And she's like, what's wrong with you? Like, just grow a pair and go stab him. <laughs> so is, is Macbeth a character that could have been, that could balance between a bad character and a good character just based off of opportunities and where he could choose to change? I think a lot of it depends. It's and it's really complex with Shakespeare because different interpretations and depictions of the character can put a lot of different flavor and make you see them in very different lights. Because I would say, uh, so for example, the newest one with Denzel Washington, he is very much a classic depiction of Macbeth, where he's just you know he, you know, you know, he decides to try, decides to kill Duncan. And from there on, it's just him trying to secure his position. His king does not want to lose power and like just very classic murderous evil protagonist thing. There's another what, version. Sorry, keep going. No, I was just going to say, does the characterization of Macbeth give you ideas on how you would want to formulate or um, make complicated a protagonist character yourself? Um, sometimes. Um, I think <clears throat> sometimes it depends on just how how you want to tinker with them. A lot of it, I think motivation um, is a big thing here because in the, uh, if you're looking at the play at face value, like what's his motivation to become king? It's like, just, he wants power. It's like, okay, that's, that's something that, you know, I think most villains, you know, regardless of whether they're the protagonist or antagonist can want, you know, if they, they want power. Um, I mean, even like, I mean, I would say even like a hero, like, you know, don't they always want to kind of become powerful for one reason or another, even if it's, you know, even if it's for a quote unquote good reason. Um, That's a good point. Yeah. Um, there's another version of Macbeth starring uh, Michael Fassbender. And in that version, um, Macbeth is more of this kind of broken kind of person, even before the movie starts. Um, it is implied in the play because Macbeth and Lady Macbeth are childless. Um, and, you know, they kind of make references every now and then to them being childless, but they don't go too deep into it. In this particular version, the Fassbender version, the film starts with them burying a stillborn child, uh, which is not included in the original play. But that puts a whole new perspective on motivations of these characters. Uh, Interesting. Because- so they come from a place of hurt. Yeah, it comes from a place of her, and it's extremely relatable, which is, it's way more relatable than just the want to rise to power, because I think, you know, anyone who has ever lost a child, or, you know, suffered loss in general, but I think in this particular case, you know, losing a child is a particular kind of hurt that no one should ever have to experience, but, you know, you, know, you feel bad for anybody that would lose their child, and so when you see him going about uh all these things he's doing you know like it doesn't necessarily make it okay of course because you know murdering people like isn't okay regardless of what's happening to you but it does kind of you know change the character a little bit because you know he's already in such a broken state 
clearly like you know you know suffering you know depression and you know watching him go about this business you you know from the get-go what it is fueled by and it's not just this ambition for power kind of thing that makes for a really good transition for now protagonists that aren't just necessarily bad in fact they could be good but there's nuance to them now and in this case we know macbeth is supposed to have dark intentions but with this new color added to the storyline and making it his story to him he could be the hero of his own show meanwhile he's the villain to others so are there any other characters that you could think of that were maybe were presented as positive good people but then once you step back and looked at them you're like oh i'm kind of questioning this maybe they're not so good so that's another classic example for me it's uh, victor frankenstein okay and a lot of it has to do with kind of you know just uh, you know a lot of it is you're dealing with a lot of the lens of you know frankenstein as being like you know you know uh you know it, it has been the subject of many a monster films you know and it's like the frankenstein monster and just you know it's like monster you know like mm-hmm. well, it's, it's the it's the monster and he's killing people and you know i think the key thing with that makes uh, victor so complex is that so obviously he goes about creating the monster and that's you know the insane event is that he is able to bring it to life and then he's like he's immediately like oh man shit this was a terrible idea and <laughs> you know he just pieces out of there and leaves the monster to fend the creature to fend for itself um um but the thing is like that doesn't automatically make him good or bad because heroes make or i should say protagonists make mistakes all the time and a lot of times they make a mistake that is the inciting event like like they mess something up and then they're like oh man like i gotta fix it and but in this case victor does not fix it and i think that's what makes him as more of a you know more of a bad protagonist because he spends the whole book just shirking responsibility for this thing he's created and he's given multiple opportunities to try and fix it and he just does not do it the idea that there's a monster but who's really the monster exactly classic uh, classic uh, cyclical in nature kind of thing um and a lot of that has to do with the fact because it's like yeah the creature does murder people um but a lot of it's because like it doesn't really understand it's literally just been brought to life doesn't really understand what's going on doesn't understand why people are running away from it in terror until it takes a look to a body of water it's like oh man i look like shit uh like man i would i would run for me oh my god uh, <laughs> and like i mean i mean i don't know i mean that would be pretty no that's got like you gotta feel kind of bad for the creature and like when he so when he comes to victor and he's like look you made me like you know and then you abandoned me and like and i've had a really terrible time so far so here's the deal build me a mate and i'll go about my business and leave everybody alone and you'll never hear from me again victor's just like i'm not gonna do that Mm. so then so then the monster keeps killing people and victor's just kind of like why would you do this you evil (laughs) evil thing it's it's such a tragedy um, okay, so I'm going to bring up a bit of a, uh, oh, what's the best word? Volatile, uh, I don't think of the right word here, but I- I'm just going to bring it up. This is a character that is supposed to be good, and everyone freaked out when this character went bad. Hmm. But my question is, were they always bad? It's Daenerys Targaryen. Oh, man. Oh, this is going to be this is gonna be a hot button <laughs> topic. I can already tell. <laughs> now, um, we can acknowledge you know the story writing of the last season felt rushed um you know all all the politics that go into that i'm curious about have you read the books i have I've re- i'm all caught up on the books i've read the book a while ago and i've read analysis on Daenerys' character and i know that before it became a show there was already discourse over Tar- uh, Daenerys' character in the message boards whether or not she was truly a good or bad character based off of the conditions of her upbringing right. what are your thoughts I mean, so I, I very much in agreement that you know, I the the eighth season like did leave some did leave something to be desired, um, 
I don't, so I don't think that her, um, what do I say? Like, I don't think that the way Daenerys was written was done the best of their ability. I think they needed more time to really fully develop that kind of turn. Hmm. But the actual result itself, like Daenerys, you know, burning down all of King's Landing and making just being getting this totalitarian regime that i did not that did not bother me that i totally was like yeah that that tracks because mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I i definitely thought uh way back when i was reading the books and just like you this was a while while ago i read them um i, I kept getting the feeling especially in the later the later books that you know there were just things happening just like oh I don't know. Like, I didn't necessarily know if she was going to be a, you know, full-blown murder rampage, but I was kind of like, I do not think she's a very good leader. You know, I think she can inspire, but that doesn't necessarily, you know, make you a great leader. It just means, like, it could just mean you're good at manipulating people. Yeah, I I was looking back at earlier books and chapters where how she handled the slave owners, for example, and how I found it to be so interesting, her reliance on advisors and a lot of the volatility involved in that. And um, I liked the idea of her going full-fledged evil. I would have loved a season dedicated to that. As it stood, it just really, like, they just, like, rushed it to enough time. I mean, I know that, like, the biggest thing was the fact that a lot of people she cared about kept dying. And I mean, that... That that is, you know, an important thing. You know, she she has people that she's trusted uh, for, you know, some of the most important moments of the show, and they die. You know that does, but it's also like everybody else lost people important too, and not everybody like immediately mm-hmm. turned into. I mean, think about John. Like John has like seen so many friends and family. Like he had family slaughtered. He's, you know, it just it was it's terrible for him, but he was still just kind of like, yep, I'm going to East even realized like, Oh, Danny may not be doing the best job right now. Exactly. So what kind of protagonist do you think is more interesting to viewers, to readers currently? We've talked about those Luke Skywalkers of the world where they're just good. And then we've talked about bad ones like Thanos, Macbeth. But what do you think uh, people are wanting now? Do they want someone that's more nuanced? Like, Daenerys Targaryen, or do they want something more black and white? What are your thoughts? I mean, I think, I mean, you know, the, it depends on what you're talking about, obviously. You know, everyone's going to like different characters for different situations. But I do think at the end of the day, people just love debate or argue, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it. And when you have a character that you can argue about, um, that makes for a very interesting protagonist. You you obviously have people like Peter Parker. Like everybody loves Peter Parker. Like I don't think there's really anyone that would go about saying that Peter Parker. There's not much dispute about if he's good or bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, like everyone loves him. Um, you know they make he might have made mistakes. He might have flaws, but I don't think there's really you know any way to discredit his character. But then you have other characters. Um, and if we're going to stay on the Marvel track, you have characters like Loki, who, I mean, he ha- he doesn't really get to be a proper protagonist until um, his own TV series. But, I mean, people loved Loki even when he was the villain. Oh, I love Loki. I'm yeah. a huge Loki fan. <laughs> and yeah, and but and, and why wouldn't you? Like, he's charismatic, and I mean, who doesn't love Tom Hiddleston? But, like, mm-hmm. I mean, he has done some pretty bad things. I mean, he, you know, tried to like bring on an army into New York city and just ruin the whole world and like kill people. And, you know, and, you know, it wasn't a great look, but it's also like, Hey, he's Loki. Like, what are you going to do? Um, and, you know, and not that I think too many people, uh, spend time debating Loki, but I do think he has just so many different assets to him. Um, especially like when you get to the TV series and now it's like, okay, we're sympathetic for him on a lot of things, but there's other things where it's like, okay, you are still a trickster cop. Like, like, but I've not lost sight of that. That's a really good point. And I'm thinking now about a lot of franchises that benefited from the, the discussions 
like Twilight, for example, um, Euphoria. And if we want to really look at it, the heart of every single reality show, keeping up with the Kardashians, the idea yeah. that there's discussion that comes out of everything. Yeah. Um, when I looked at this question, I, I looked at it from an almost an age audience approach. So when you're a kid, at least when I was a kid, the kind of books I was reading, you were seeing positive, optimistic, good protagonists everywhere. You've got your main characters in Disney Channel. You've got your kids in family movies. There's a lot of morality and then you get older and suddenly the characters get more nuanced. So in young adult fiction, the bad boy is just misunderstood, right? Where bad characters can become good. Uh, but there does seem to also be a lot of morality there as well. Um, and then you get to the adult content. And that's when I started getting exposure to Breaking Bad, Walter White. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, the idea that was he, I love that. I just, it just dawned on me. I'm so stupid. Walter White, White, you know, the symbolism of being yep, yep. a good guy, mm -hmm. teacher, you know. And then he turns into the villain. He is the villain of the story. He is. Um, but it's like, was he bad the whole time? Or was there that transition? Or was he just becoming more of himself? You know, the Dexter uh, storyline where he, is he good because he's a murderer killing other murderers? Or is he just bad? Like, there's no other way to look at it. And the so, thing, sorry. Uh, no, no, go ahead. Um, the thing, the fun thing about Walter White that I always like to point out is, um, you know, a lot of fans you know the show like talk about how much they like hate um his wife um and like there's like man she's such a bitch like all the time and it's like buddy like you're rooting for a meth a guy who cooks meth <laughs> like, <laughs> and you're telling her that like i mean it's like yeah like she's maybe like yeah she does some things in the show that like i'm just kind of like eh, like i don't know like wasn't such a great idea but like is she really a bad person is she really as bad as walt isn't that amazing how and the, the, the storyline twists you into thinking that? Exactly. And it's because Walt's the protagonist. So, like, and it's kind of what I was saying earlier. It's like, because Walter wants to do these things. He has all these wants and these things he's trying to accomplish. And she gets in the way of a lot of that. So it's like, yeah, we're kind of like geared to be like, ah, oh, damn it. Like she found out about this. And it's just kind of like, yeah, but she's not doing anything wrong. How much do you think was deliberate, like tone control? scripting how much how much of it do you think they wanted us to not like her as much as possible because they were feeding into that narrative um i mean i think they had to have been known what they were doing because she kind of fits especially early on she kind of fits into this like nagging wife kind of uh stereotype um especially early on um and it's especially hard when it's like you know he's like you know he it when walt can't really connect with her when he first is like you know going through the cancer diagnosis and stuff like that and you know she's just kind of off in her own little world and all she cares about is that she's pregnant and la 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 um so we're already having a disconnect because walter has the disconnect um so oh. i do think and yeah exactly so i think that you know she certainly was meant to be depicted a specific way i just think over time fans you know of course the more invested they get in the show the more they care about walter and like see him succeed and the more and more, no matter what she does, it's going to be like, why does she keep screwing everything up? That's so, and I feel like that's, you're seeing more stories like that now where things are so nuanced. So, for example, retellings of classic stories. This is, oh, yeah. uh, this is more family friendly, I guess you could say, but Once Upon a Time, the TV show, that huge hit on ABC, um, they made Red Riding Hood the wolf, you know, and I they started saying, wow. yeah, so they, they started bringing up familiar characters that you once revered and thought were wonderful, iconic characters. And then they started introducing concepts and issues, which I think, you know, do make them more relatable. And I guess the question goes, if a protagonist has more of a dark side, is that a reflection of us as people? That's really interesting. Yeah. Wow. I never really thought about that. I mean, Are we I, all... <laughs> that's a, I'm just, I'm just, I'm still kind of hung up on the, I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm just kind of hung up on the Red Riding Hood. Bag, bag, it was, it was that's a great such concept. A great, that really is a great kind of, you know, I rem I never really uh, watched a lot of the show, but I know like some of the twisty turns they did with the characters. Like I know they made uh, like, they made hook who is like this quintessential villain uh, into, you know, people loved him mm -hmm. and Peter Pan was more like this, the, the creep, the, this creepy, like almost like supernatural feature. Yes. Oh, I loved how they approached Peter Pan. It was so sinister. Um, and I, I don't know, I, I love things like that. And so, yeah, I, part of me is like thinking, are we all as battling this good and evil 
And are we bored by just the straight good, like Superman? Because quite honestly, I get bored with Superman. I like sure. the more nuanced Batman, who seems like a hot mess, you know? So, <laughs> because he is, he is a hot mess. He just yeah. really is. And speaking of nuanced bad protagonists, um, or nuanced protagonists in general, do you think Batman could actually do more good as the wealthy billionaire versus the guy that just beats uh, people up at night? I know, I know this is one that like I see all the time. And it's like, yeah, it, you know, it really is so interesting, especially when you look at the many different versions of, you know, Batman and like, you know, because there's different, there's been so many different ways that Bruce Wayne has been depicted and like ways that he, uh, you know, sometimes he's put in a bit more positive light. Um, sometimes he's a little more cynical. Uh, I do, I do think uh, in a lot of different stories, like I think particularly in the, uh, what do you want to say? I think in the Nolan Batman universe in particular, it feels like there's a lot of more like, why didn't you just do this? Your money, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. <laughs> in particular, um, and I think a lot of that has to do with because like that movie really spends a lot more time like talking about, uh, like Wayne Enterprises and all the different tech that he has. Um, especially like in, in, I think it's really hard to ignore that in the, uh, in the dark Knight rises because the discussion of class is such a big theme in that particular movie. And it's hard not to think about the fact that it's like, yeah, Bruce, you kind of are part of the 1% there. Mm -hmm. Like it's a, it's a little, like you can't like, I know you're still, you're, you're trying to stop Bane from murdering people, which is, which is good, but it's also hard to ignore the fact that, yeah, you're a billionaire. You're not really the underdog here. So with each, with each retelling of these stories, we're seeing the evolution. Um, these characters are changing. They're a little bit more colorful. They reflect a little bit more of society. What kind of nuanced character development do you think we'll see for protagonists in the future looking forward? I think that I kind of, I was thinking about this and I actually ended up kind of going back towards um, like the mental health trauma recovery themes that I mentioned earlier. Um, because I think that really is a big thing. I think it's kind of, this is almost like an answer to um, when you were saying, like, I get bored with the Superman protagonist kind of things. Um, because, like, they are, like, you know, they kind of are a little too stoic. And they the only real, a lot of their problems are external. Mm -hmm. um, but I think if you take, like, these superheroic characters, or and even and even, like, antagonists. I know, I mean, it wasn't my favorite movie. But I know a lot of people talk about uh, the Joker movie and like the themes of mental health issues surrounding that particular protagonist um, was an important discussion. Um, but I feel like with the, you know, exploring that particular subject, especially over a long period of time with certain characters, uh, can kind of, you know, make a shift from like a character. Oh, they're just strictly a heroic or, oh, they're just strictly villainous. Uh, and make them a bit more complex and like a lot more to discuss and make them more relatable. I like that. I think right now, and we've talked about this recently, people enjoy dissecting characters, public figures until they're 50 shades of gray, right? They, yeah, they yeah. start out one way and then we pick them apart. But what it's interesting right now is we as individuals are entering the public sphere as stories in ourselves. So we have social media, we have our websites, we're all building our own narrative. You and I as writers have our public presence, right? And yeah. what we want other people to perceive as us as, as writers. And I'm seeing a blurred line between personal and PR personas and the stories that they carry. And as people enter that sphere, uh, that public sphere, and people get their stories from each other now, not necessarily written, but, you know, we're thinking TikTok personalities. Part of me wonders, would that inform even more of, of nuanced character development it, it, will it become even more blurred is it really difficult to to be a good or a bad character um especially since public tiktok personalities are constantly getting broken down from one image to the other what are your thoughts on that it's kind of random uh, man, no but no no but it's a really good point because we do want to portray ourselves in a certain way on like the world stage um, and, you know, obviously, you know, there are more people that are a bit more visible than others for, you know, for one reason or another, whether it's because they just have a large online following or they're influencer or whatnot. But, you know, just, we, we all want to 
kind of, you know, show ourselves in a certain way. And it's kind of, it can be hard to do that and come across as genuine. Um, you know, you were kind of talking about the whole like PR speak and it's kind of like, yeah, I, I especially when it comes to, you know, you know, cause I mainly use Twitter, uh, to connect with the writing community and, and, you know, all that stuff. And sometimes I'll just tweet about some random personal anecdote and it'll just be silly, but like, you know, I, I do want to try to engage, but a lot of times I'll see some, in, uh, see discussions going on and people that are also trying to engage and it. Sometimes it just feels so stilted and forced and it, and you know it's like I, I i've seen sometimes i'll see i'll see questions like uh you know hashtag hey hashtag writing community uh do you ever get like stuck writing a book and like yeah 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 i do because yeah. <laughs> i'm a writer and that just, like next question please and you know yeah. it's like and it's all in you and it's all for i think it's all to just you know they're trying to get followers they're trying to get engagements and whatever and it's like okay you know that 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 is your prerogative but you know i want more meaningful discussion mm -hmm. like if i you know if i comment on something that you're talking about or you know if i follow you it's because i'm genuinely interested in what you're saying and what you're offering and i'm not just trying to do it just because i'm just like this is twitter and i and you follow me i follow you back or whatever you know it's like you you post about a book um you know there was like one book uh you know that i saw recently and then I can't remember the name for it now, of course, mm -hmm. but I was just like, you know, all I saw was the book cover and like the other tweet, like it's coming out tomorrow. I'm just like, Ooh, it has swords on the cover. Like, I want to know about that. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, and I like, and you know, and I like the attitude of the author, so I'm going to follow them and keep this book on the radar. Um, and I like, you know, the way that they were kind of, you know, presenting themselves. Um, it seems like it's got a little long, long winded. No worries. <laughs> it, no, it seems like the online, 360 and live so the when it comes to things like character development and what we experience now as in our own lived stories and what mm -hmm. we hope to see in stories no one takes you at, at face value anymore no. uh you know and it just it does it does that mean that we're now in the world of group character development because right. of, once it, it's back to that question of is it about your intent or the the reader's interpretation Oh yeah, you know, and it's and especially like with yourself, like it's because so, like you know, so many people like you. You got to be careful because you might, you know, if you don't take a few more than a few seconds to say something before you type it up, it's like someone someone could take it the wrong way, and you know, and then that could you know that could that could hurt someone even, and then and then mm -hmm. you're in a whole other bit of trouble because even if you didn't mean it, uh, you know, I genuinely believe like you know, people you know people do make mistakes, and they do misspeak, but it is much much harder to backtrack from that uh mm -hmm. or to fix that you know if it just you know like if i you know if i'm talking with a friend and i say something wrong and i'm like ah shit like like that wasn't right like i'm sorry or something like that if i say it on twitter and like a thousand people see it and retweet it and, and share it all the place and i was like oh oh like that was bad that was really really bad maybe i should have like thought that through uh and i think sometimes that's just like a lot of a lot of those situations are just born out of the fact that we feel like we have to keep adding to our online persona our character development and we just think this is just another piece of that and it's just kind of like yeah like well not everybody needs to know every single step along the way we have to find that perfect balance right of controversial of controversialness that doesn't steep too far the point of character assassination right so when we're talking exactly. about the loki the bella the euphoria yeah. we got to find that balance in our own personal if yeah, we want to sure do get that conversation going Okay, well, that was pretty much the questions I had for you. Is there yeah. anything else that you'd like to add? Uh, oh, let me think about it here. Uh, anything else you'd like to add? Oh, I don't know. I could go on about all this stuff forever and ever, <laughs> but uh, you know, there's only so much. There's only so much time. Um, but no, I just think you know, I I just kind of think you know, just piggybacking off of what we were saying before. Like we, you know, I love honest engagement. You know, and I love hearing other people's stories and seeing what they have to offer. So I think, you know, uh, in the case of, you know, kind of like what you're saying, like intent uh, versus like, you know, your intent versus what people interpret. It's like, you know, you just got to, you know, you just got to think about other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agreed. Thank you so much for being my guest on this podcast. 
theories. Yes. I greatly appreciate it. Yeah. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's just been so great to get to you know, actually speak with you after all this time. Yeah, that is really exciting. And I wish you lots of luck on your you book as it's as going through. Well, I really, I really, I've been wanting to read your book for so long. I really can't wait to eventually have it in my hands. Well, okay. Fingers crossed for both of us. Yeah. And hopefully sometime in the future, if you want to come back for another episode, I'd love to have you back. I'd absolutely love to. Speculative Sandbox is a volunteer-run podcast that relies on the collaboration of fellow creators like yourselves. Join the conversation by following us on Twitter and Instagram. Interested in being in a future episode? Email speculativesandbox at gmail.com.